radioinfluence.com. Hey, gang, welcome into the A Place for My Head podcast. He is Brandon Thompson. My name is Jerry P. Tuck. And before we hop into the meat and potatoes of this show, I uh, want to thank, uh, actually, we've got a couple things we, we've got to uh, address. Uh, first off, thanks again to Jesse Cage last week. Uh, great conversation. Uh, you know, he's a guy that, God, we've both known forever. And he's just such yeah. a good, good dude, man. Good dude, for sure. Uh, so sure. yeah, you know, as, as his projects start popping up, I know he was kind of vague and didn't want to jinx anything. So as, you know, as his pod, uh, you know, podcasts and projects start popping up, we'll, uh, we'll keep you guys in the loop and let you know where to find those. And, uh, so, you know, as we record this on Saturday, the second, uh, Brandon, you've been busy today. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, around the two o'clock hour. Uh, I was privileged enough to do an interview on, on the Mike O show on 102.5 The Bone, uh, which was awesome because it's the start of Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, so it was perfect timing. And we had a really good conversation, as usual, tra- very, very transparent and genuine and to the point, no matter uh, how rough things uh, sound. Uh, but they helped get the message out. They helped uh create more awareness uh with uh, that amazing station that they have going on there uh it's funny they, they were talking about how they're not just a talk radio show or talk radio station it, 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 there's so much more than that um but personally wanted to thank you know M- mike olivero drew garavo uh for chiming in on twitter and you know those guys have uh, very powerful handles in this in this in this community, and uh, it means a lot to the to me and us in this show um, that uh, more people are going to get to hear this kind of stuff and relate. So thank you very much, to those guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I can't wait to go on again. Yeah, no doubt. As long as I've been in the radio world here in Tampa, Drew and I, our paths have never crossed. Um, you know, he, uh, he and I have exchanged a few emails and a few DMs here and there, but, uh, I certainly look forward to, uh, you know, breaking some bread with him. And of course, Mike Olivero is a guy that I've known since I got into radio back in 97. So um, just good guys over there. Uh, Again, uh, you know, we'll have that audio and and we'll replay that interview here on the podcast at the end of this week's show, where we are speaking to a pretty impressive young lady, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So for once, uh, I shouldn't say once, I mean, (laughs) <laughs> we always say that we're not professionals and we're just two dudes that are just trying to start the conversation and help people out. But um, for, for I think this is going to be the first time that we actually will have um, uh, some textbook savvy, if you will. Correct me if I'm wrong. Welcome, Rebecca Minner, to the show. Hi. Hey there. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am a fourth-year medical student at the University of Arkansas. I matched into a psychiatry residency, um, which I'll be doing for the next four years here in Arkansas as well. Um, But yeah, uh, I feel like first there needs to be a little caveat. Um, Appreciate the introduction, but I am, um, I've not been board certified as a psychiatrist. Um, I'm soon to be, uh, soon to get my medical degree. Um, but I have to say that none of this is actual, um, 
medical advice. A lot of this is personal opinion and what I've learned from my schooling and textbooks and interest in mental health and psychiatry. Uh, but I want to encourage you to take advice from your own uh, mental health professional over mine. Yeah, no doubt. And I'm, I'm glad you said that because we, we say every show we are not professionals at all absolutely <laughs> we're, we're just a couple of guys looking to start the conversation and, and keep yeah. it going so yeah no worries but the, there but at the very least you can you can probably sound a lot more professional than us knuckleheads so uh that's what we're looking forward to yes <laughs> i'm excited to share the knowledge that i've i've gained from medical school i'm excited to talk with you all about mental health what made you uh what made you want to go into the profession you're going into um <clears throat> so for me, there's always kind of been an interest in psychiatry. I actually had a grandfather who was a clinical psychiatrist um, for over 50 years. And so kind of had his influence of just seeing how much of an influence he had on his town and his community, helping his community with their mental health. Um, but also I was a psych major in college in was really fascinated with abnormal psychology. Like I, I loved learning about schizophrenia, bipolar, the different kinds of anxiety disorders. And so I decided I was going to take the big leap and be pre-med and go to med school so I could be a psychiatrist. Um, and so, and then throughout med school, just kept gravitating towards patients with mental illnesses. Um, and really it just, it was a good I'm kind of someone who, I know you probably can't tell right now, but naturally someone who likes to listen probably more than talk. And so uh, going into a field where, you know, listening is like a key component and being able to just allow people to have an open, non-judgmental space to convey their thoughts and their feelings and what they're going through. Was oh, you're going to love talking to me. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just- oh, honey, you have no idea what you just got yourself into. <laughs> I've already got a bank of questions. I think you keep going. Curl them at me. <laughs> well, well, one thing that stuck out that you said, you said multiple, or was it multiple, uh, there are differences in, in, in different types of anxiety. Uh, what are those? Because I remember when I, the first benzo that I was ever prescribed by my primary uh, care, which was not the best idea in the world and never really did anything for me. Um, it said, when he wrote it, it was like anxiety without agoraphobia. Okay. So it's like agoraphobia being issues being out in public places and open spaces. Damn, that's not true because that stuff sucked too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how he saw that was fit, but okay. Um, so, what other types are there? Because you know, like for me, I was always socially awkward back in the day, and you know, and, and I can be at times too. You know, like even family gatherings and stuff. There's like there's pressure to like I don't know, like go uh, my my father in law bust my balls all the time with this. He'll make me go hug people I don't know <laughs> real well or I just meet in their family and stuff. He gets a huge kick out of it. And it's funny, but it, it's it's difficult for a person like me. And he knows it, but that's why he does it. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, just things like that. Like, so, if you know, uh, what else would be like panic attacks and 
and uh, social anxiety and, you know, things of that nature. Just, I mean, how do you identify, I guess, with a type of anxiety? Because I just thought anxiety was anxiety. Right, right. Yeah, there's a lot of, I feel like anxiety is just kind of like an umbrella term. And a lot of what helps pinpoint the type of anxiety, whether it's generalized anxiety, like you just have it all the time, regardless of the situation. If it's uh, public speaking anxiety, where it's just if you're in front of people or you're put on the spot, um, or panic attacks even fall under the category of anxiety disorders, where, you know, you have this very physical response of kind of, you know, you can feel your heart racing, you have trouble breathing, you feel like you're going to die, but then it passes. Um, So really, a lot of it is knowing what situations bring out the anxiety, what kind of reaction do you have? to the anxiety or like, well, that was, we, we sort of talk about, um, we always mention it, the, the aha moment as Jerry likes to put it. Um, and for me, my aha moment, um, you know, I, 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 I told you when we talked the other day that, um, I went to my primary care to get, you know, uh, get, get some type of wrap on my anxiety. And I was at one point taking eight milligrams of lorazepam a day. And it wasn't, you know, people joke um, when um, when they take these types of, of drugs uh, for recreational use and stuff like that, and they have fun on them or whatever the case, and I totally don't endorse that, but eight milligrams of that stuff not doing a damn thing for me was not fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was not fun at all, at all. And I remember being, you know, I've told the story a bunch of times, I did it on the interview that, to, earlier today, but I just forgot that about taking my medication, heart started to beat out of my chest, literally thought I was going to die. In short, got to my primary care, said, am I okay? When he said I was okay, I was okay. And then I left. Like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's when I that's when I decided I need to not go see that guy. I needed to go see a different person. <laughs> they could really, really identify w- with what's going on. And, you know, now... Uh, I praise Zoloft like it's a, a gift from God, but it literally changed my life. And I think I think you bring up like a really good point of, you know, you can go to a mental health professional, be it a therapist or psychiatrist. Um, but I feel like the most progress is made when you're able to mesh well with whoever is helping you. Like if you have a good relationship with your psychiatrist and you're able to just be open frank like i don't think my medication is working for me or i'm having this kind of side effect is there anything we can do or change i think that makes a whole lot of difference in terms of how you like as a patient um like view the medication and view your journey because it's super frustrating to not be able to have like a quick fix for mental health yeah yeah that's a that's a really good point because when I did decide to go get the professional help that was needed for those types of medications and went over, you know, I, <laughs> I never forget the first time I sat down with my doctor and I told him what I was taking. He was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's too much. That's way too much. <laughs> and, and I was like, well, he goes, how long? And I'm like, two years. I think, I think it was two years and maybe a little less, but nonetheless, you're not supposed to take that stuff that long. Um, and so he wanted to lean me off. And I remember he, instead of taking eight milligrams or something that he gave me, uh, I think it was, shoot, I'm trying to think, Klonopin or something like that, like at a lower dose to try to like wean me off of the other one. 
Um, and then I, I was at work falling asleep. Like, like it's too much. It's too much. Um, and then, like, literally, I couldn't keep my eyes open at times. But, um, you know, uh, long story short, I, uh, I remember I, I kind of cl- cling on to things that people say to me for some reason, like, uh, like, like lines. And I remember a line saying, when, you know, Zoloft totally kicks in after about four weeks or so, however that long, however long that adjustment is in that period, which we talked about on another show that I won't talk on this one about that stuff and side effects. But, um, uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, I, anyway, uh, I decided on my own to stop taking, uh, the, the clonopin. And this was, this was around, um, around the time of someone, uh, kind of close to me had, uh, died by suicide. Um, why I chose to do it around that certain time, I have no idea. And my doctor asked me the same damn thing, but I started to feel really weird. I started to sweat and all this stuff. And I'm like, the Zoloft is supposed to be taking care of this. What's going on? And I explained it to him. First off, he was like, why in the world would you stop taking a medication? <laughs> and I was like, cause the Zoloft is supposed to do the work. And then he said, and why would you do it when something tragic happened? I'm like, honestly, I'm just dead stupid uh, I, I, was, I just didn't want to take the stuff anymore you know and then he explained to me that i was going through withdrawals mm. so so i was like jesus I, I had never felt that way before so to hear something like that it was like not traumatizing but a wake-up call with how serious <clears throat> these medications can be and uh with the majority of them you can't just cold turkey stop, stop taking one um because it can have some devastating effects uh, after the fact like suicidal thoughts and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I didn't know that. Uh, that's why I, like, I try to talk about medication as much as I can on the show. I'm not a professional, but I've just been through a bunch of them. And, uh, you know, that's just something like, you know, if I shoot, if I hear that someone stops taking medication, I take the time out to go talk to them and say, look, that's not good. That, that's like, you have to be weaned off that you cause a lot of problems. Right. So, like, you know, what's your take on that, obviously, so. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I think um, I think you had it exactly right. Um, you know, we kind of knew stuff like antidepressants and um, anti-anxiolytic medication as if it's kind of just like a happy pill kind of thing. It makes it sound all nice and cute. Um, but really, it's it's changing the chemical balance in your body. And so if you are just cold turkey cutting it, um, you can get some pretty serious reactions. Um, yeah. You know, with a lot of like antidepressants, oh, sometimes it's just a small withdrawal. Like you just kind of feel disgusting and icky, like you have the flu. Um, but for some other medications, like kind of heftier guns, um, it can really like cause you to feel extremely bad and feel like you need to seek medical care. And so I think it's important that. A, you don't um, cut cold turkey unless you, you know, get approval from um, your doctor. But also talk to your doctor. If you feel like you want to switch your medication or, like, just stop taking it altogether. Like, that is definitely something that's reasonable and something you can do. Um, But make sure to do it in a very safe way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I will not make that mistake again because that also was not fun. Yeah. Yeah. What what would you say to people who are hesitant to try medication? Yeah. um, 
kind of interesting that you say that. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about myself. So I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder during med school. Um, and so I went to therapy for a while, um, hoping that that was all it was going to do to help me gain control of my own mental illness. Um, and therapy wasn't cutting it. I'd reached like a plateau with therapy where I still needed some help. Um, and so saw a psychiatrist and he um, prescribed me um, some medication for it. And I actually had to kind of realize my own stigma or just negative thoughts that come with having to take medication for illness, mental illness. I know that sounds so weird. Like I'm going into psychiatry, like I should be like a huge proponent, be like super okay with it. Um, but really had to come to terms with the fact that taking medication doesn't mean that I'm weak or lesser than or whatever it may be. Um, I think for a lot of people, therapy just doesn't necessarily cut it with, in terms of their mental illness. And medication can really help get people back to a baseline where they're way more functional than without medication. And I, I, I understand people's hesitancy to start medication because um, it's something new. It's, you know, it's something that you have to ingest and put into your body. But um, I think if, you know, if, if the alternative is, you know, life isn't worth living or you can't, um, you know, you're too anxious to like get up in the morning or too depressed to be social. Um, there's some, there's definite value in being able to take medication. Yeah, so I know. So, oh, sorry, it's like, it's so hard though. Like you made, you made that sound so impactful because of the profession you're going into, but you yourself we're battling that stigma of like, uh, the medication, you know, like, and for us guys, for me growing up, you know, my dad would just straight up call me a pussy saying, you didn't need a pill to feel better, blah, 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 mm-hmm. you know? And so that stuff resonates. Like uh, when I said like sentences stick in my brain and I can't un, un, unhear those sentences said to me, you know, that's one of them. Um, so, you know, for the longest, you know, when I was taking medication, God, I hid it from everybody, you know, of course yeah. my wife knows and everything else, but since doing the show, it developed the courage to talk about it because anybody else out there that's scared or, you know, uh, they need it and they're questioning it and how it feels and stuff. Cause I've described everything I've taken before, um, based off my opinion, of what I was going through, uh, what I experienced per se to try to help people understand it, you know, cause I don't have the professional terms to, uh, really, you know, describe it to them and stuff like that, because I think these things work way different with, uh, everybody. Um, and the side effects, you know, might not happen to someone, but they might be severe for another person, you know? Um, and I think, I think everybody is concerned, uh, I think one of the side effects is um, that everybody's truly concerned about it, uh, is the weight gain with some of the some. Of, uh, maybe you can answer this question. Um, so, like with certain um, with c- certain antidepressants that that cause you to gain weight, mm-hmm. uh, this was another sentence that uh, stuck in my head. We somebody told me that they weren't sure if they quote unquote make you happier in life and you're not depressed anymore. You're not anxious. You're not whatever that you naturally just 
develop an, an appetite again because you're happy or it actually causes, you know, uh, a stronger appetite. Like I've never, I've never been, I've never, I've never had the answer like clear or not. You know what I mean? Right. And I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can answer that scientifically. Um, I mean, there is probably something to be said, you know, if you are depressed and not eating anything and, you know, you start taking medication, depression, it goes away, you're eating a normal diet. Sure. You're probably going to, you know, gain some weight back. But the thing is, like, it's a pretty just common side effect, whether, you know, depression kind of shows up as either it can be like eating too much or eating too little. And regardless of how it presents, there are definitely some antidepressants that tend to make people gain more weight. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, I, know you, I know you said you listened to Kinsey's um, episode and she had mentioned that she had gone on medication and she gained like 40 pounds. She's no yeah. longer on medication. But she, but she gained like four pounds, you know. I mean, that's significant, a lot of weight, and I can see how that, especially, you know, I don't want to be just just say women in general. I don't think anybody wants to gain weight, but I feel like that would be like a a, a really main reason to stay away from that kind of medication and be scared of it and not want to take that stuff and just try to fix yourself. You know what I mean? Uh, and not have to take the medication. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, I think, unfortunately, um, self-image plays a big portion in how you feel in your mood. Mm-hmm. If you have gained, you know, 40 pounds or whatever it is, like, there are, I mean, there's a pretty good chance that you're just going to feel kind of down about yourself for having gained weight. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't think trivializing the side effects of weight gain helps like i think for a lot of people like that's a that's a deal breaker Um, exactly thankfully there are some antidepressants that actually work well for either being like they're called weight neutral or um some actually are kind of weight loss um tend to have kind of more of those side effects like wellbutrin um bupropion is supposed to be like pretty weight neutral um, and then fluoxetine is supposed to actually be, it's kind of a little bit more of a stimulant in some ways. And so people tend to actually lose like five pounds on it. Well, I know, I know just speaking from experience and it wasn't, uh, you know, an antidepressant or anything like that, but, uh, I was taking 120 milligrams of hydrocortisone, a steroid, mm-hmm. uh, 120 milligrams a day for six years. And uh, you know, the weight gain, I mean, everybody knows if you take steroids for a prolonged amount of time, you're going to gain weight. But, yeah, and I know, you know, I'm still, I've been off of them for years. I'm still trying to get the weight off because it, you know, not only does it affect you, uh, how do I want to put this? Um, not, not only, it affects every part of your body, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's mentally, physically, chemically, um, you know, and I've mentioned before throughout the process of this, I was also diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease, which, mm. <clears throat> you know, for those who don't know, basically it's where, you, uh, it's an autoimmune disease where, uh, you know, your immune system attacks your thyroid. So the combination of the steroids and the thyroid thing, I, I could have, my doctor laughed and she's like, you could have spent 15 hours a day in the gym and it wouldn't have mattered that you were going to gain the weight anyways. So, you know, now we just got to get it off and, and I've done pretty good so far, uh, you know, but, but it, it, like you said, it definitely takes a toll on you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. Cause you think about it, 
you take you, you're I don't want to say <laughs> it's like for me I'd rather be fat and happy than skinny and miserable that's right. just me yeah but <laughs> I mean because that the, the brain feeling good and and all that kind of stuff and hell food's good <laughs> well it's funny <laughs> but, it's funny because you know I, I'm one of those people I'm I, I joke that I'm six two squared but uh, <laughs> I, eat, I eat like a bird I, I don't eat a lot and of course, you know, I, I always joke, I've got a friend who's, you know, 6'1", 200, chiseled. We go out to dinner, he orders the left side of the menu, I order a, a salad. And everybody looks at us and goes, yeah, we know where this food's going. And it goes to his side, they're they're like absolutely confused. Everybody's got this stigma that it's all about food, and it's like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's, not, really- it's really not. Yeah, but... Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it, that, that certainly takes a toll on you mentally as well. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's the thing though. Cause like you go in and I'll just use myself as an example and say, uh, you know, my head's messed up, you know, and I go in there hypothetical and I get prescribed something, I gain 40 pounds and then uh, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I guess I'm happier, but now I, now I'm, now I'm insecure all of a sudden about my appearance. Right. I mean, because because with anxiety, there were there were points in time I I, I you know I've I've said it before I was scared of mirrors I couldn't I couldn't look into a mirror that's how bad my anxiety was I couldn't look into and look at myself my my face my eyes nothing and um uh on top of that you know it's like well <laughs> you developed insecurity if you gain the weight so where's the balance there you know what I mean like it's kind of, if it. To some people, I can see how they would feel that that would be a lose lose. Like, hey, this will help your anxiety, but you're going to become a chunker. <laughs> like, with like, which what would you what would you rather have? You know, stay crazy or you know, be fat and happy? Like I said, so I, I can I can easily easily see how that can be a deterrent for some people. And I feel like it's difficult because it it is very like individualistic. Like some people are like, you know, I'll gain twenty pounds and that's fine, or. For other people, it's like this is just too much, and I I need to try something else. Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm not happy, even though my you know I'm taking this medication. Anxiety is fine. I'm not happy. Um, and you know, you know, we're just kind of talking about weight, but just even things like antidepressants have a high likelihood. I don't want to say high likelihood, but there is a, a side effect of like sexual dysfunction and mm-hmm. work with men and women and that can cause you know relational problems and marital problems and absolutely uh, yeah, yeah it can definitely be a sticking point where it's just you know maybe let's try something else if this is causing too much um i don't know just that, issues so that's 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 uh, another deterrent you know um because you kind of have to make that decision uh of of, of do i want do i want mental health to be the number one priority or and can can you know if, if it's a husband wife or partner or whatever or can we get do this together for the sake of my mental health and understand that you know that these things are going to happen and you know that's kind of a whole another conversation but at the end of the day it's still it's real it's 100 percent real mm-hmm. um and 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 in these in the medication, you know, they unfortunately do that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of, 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 of seeking help and, and taking medication. Um, just because I'm, I am a totally different person than I was 
however many years ago, uh, when I'd say since maybe 2013, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, I'm talking like I was scared. Don't, don't take my picture. Don't, don't come around me with a video camera. Uh, you know, there, I worked at a television station at, at times and, you know, I'm around the set and the studio and I'm like, get me the hell out of here. Uh, you know, just, just stuff like that. I hated it when people would tag you on Facebook and stuff. You know, I, I set every setting on the planet so it wouldn't show up until I saw it. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I, I, <laughs> it's like, it's like, do not tag me. Do not tag me. But then, you know, my life changed in such a way. I became, I kind of became a different person. You know, I just remember one day I just woke up and I just fucking fantastic, to be honest. And I asked my wife, and this is the, this was the really cool point or moment for me. And I'm like, um, I'm like, hey, do you notice a difference? And she's like, are you kidding me? I was like, oh, is that a bad thing? She's like, no, it's night and day. You are a totally different person. And not that I was like some gigantic asshole throwing things around the house. Well, you're stuff, a gigantic but, asshole now. Yeah, but you know, a different kind of asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Cause like, like the littlest things, like I'm looking at my counter right now. We just had groceries delivered. Okay? There's three gallon jugs of iced tea on the counter. Um, some spray of some sort that I can't see the name. Uh, my kid's puzzle that's unwrapped half-eaten sandwich with some Cheetos next to it, and so on and so forth. I used to freak the fuck out if there were things all over our counters. I mean, lose my mind. Like, when people put knickknacks on, on like on every single surface in their house and stuff like that, it, it, dry, it would drive me absolutely insane. That almost and sounds like a form of OCD. I, but I, I have it, though. I've never... I've never... It's never gotten... Well, I guess in a sense, Zoloft helped me with my OCD a little bit because I would get not, not like enraged, but irritated. Uh, just like I was very irritable about just the stupidest things. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like if, if someone screwed up my order at McDonald's or like they, I said, no onions and they put extra onions on there. I'd be like, just start throwing shit, whatever. But now I've I heard of Roid like, rage. What? I've never heard of onion rage. <laughs> I actually like it onions on them now, but uh, <laughs> but I mean, like I like I've said this before. I have a super super long driveway, and it's Florida, uh, and it rains all the all the damn time. And people would drive through my grass, and I would lose my mind for a month. Now I drive through it, and I don't give a shit. So. I think I don't know if, if Zoloft is one of those things that, that is typically known to help with OCD and stuff because I'm still OCD about a lot of shit, but not like overboard. It's something I can I can manage and kind of get over at times if that makes any sense. Right, it's not hindering you or your relationships or anything. Right, right. Like like what was your experience um, when you were prescribed medication for your OCD? Yeah, so my OCD was a little different than was typically thought. So, like, OCD, you think, like, they have reoccurring thoughts that they can't get out of their head, and they do, like, repetitive actions or movements or counting or whatever it is. So there's kind of, like, a thought part of it and an action part. And for me, it was really mainly all thought. 
thoughts. Like I would just have reoccurring thoughts about stuff that I couldn't just get myself to stop thinking about. And um, eventually it just like became too much for me to concentrate on school and on work and just getting in the way of relationships too. Um, and so I was prescribed Prozac um, and, you know, didn't really see much of a difference for about three weeks when I first started it. And, you know, I was just kind of, you know, trust the process and see how it's going to go. Um, and about, you know, week five, though, really stopped having the repetitive thoughts. I was, was going to say, don't they normally say it takes four to six weeks for a medication to really start taking effect? Right, right. Sometimes you can see like a little bit of effect at like three weeks, but they usually say four to six weeks. That's about when you'll see like the benefit of it. Right. Yeah, uh, that's what they've told me I've heard that. Right. Which again is a frustrating part of it, just how long it takes. But thankfully, you know, this is the only medication that I've, I've been on. It's, it's worked really well for me. It's made my thoughts like way more manageable. I'm way more happy as a part of it. Um, you know, what did you say it was? Prozac. Oh, so, okay. Oh, I thought you said, oh, at first it, it wasn't doing much, but then it kicked in kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So like early okay. weeks, like wasn't seeing much, but then once I got to like five weeks, it was working so well. Cool. Yeah. So you, you still take Prozac then? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. And you, I don't honestly know at this time if this is going to be something that I'm going to have to take for the rest of my life or if at some point I'm going to wean off of it. But, um, you know, just brand perspective and all of this, like being on medication, I'm a much happier, more like functional person on medication than I am without it. Yeah, I, I would, I would, uh, I, I would say the same thing about myself. Like, I, I don't care if I have to take this stuff for the rest of my life. I really don't because I'm, I'm nicer, I'm more approachable, kind of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, as Jerry likes to say, I'm still a dick. Um, but uh, Dude, you know, I'm just, I, I'm just busting. Your <laughs> no, You're not no. a dick. You're an asshole. <laughs> we established <laughs> that. Yeah, I'm, I'm still all those things. I'm just, I just have a different approach now. Um, uh, so, but I, you know, I, like I said, I just, I really don't care about doing this stuff for the rest of my life. I mean, it makes me happy. It's fine. Um, but it, 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 it just, the OC part really kind of, kind of triggered me because this is, is, is painful and embarrassing to admit some of the stuff that, you know, we, we talk about, um, somehow with each guest, I, 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 uh, I, I remind myself of something, you know, similar to what somebody else has gone through. And when I was a kid, um, I used to, <laughs> this is crazy. I used to, if, if my thumb on, in, on, on either hand, if my thumb touched like my index finger, one finger, whatever finger, I, I had to touch each one of them too. Or I, I just, it was, I couldn't not do it. I, my, I remember my mother being like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. I'm just sharing the love. Yes. About love. And I had no idea that that was probably a sign of something. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. hard to know if that's, you know, because I think to some extent all of us have some OCD traits, you know, maybe not a full-blown illness, but it's hard to know if it's like, it's just... Is this me just being like quirky and is this my thing or is this something to be more concerned about? Well, yeah. And then, but, but it's, you know, I think 
I think it got a little worse with my anxiety and stuff like that. And it got, it got a lot better with, with the medication, but still to this day, like new things or important things, uh, important, like if you're, if you're working on a huge project on, on, on a computer, you know, I make sure I save it like every, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Right. And then I'll save it again or I'll replace it just so I know I saved it. You know what I mean? And I'm currently opening up barbershop in downtown St. Petersburg and you know, I've got an alarm system and motion stuff and all that. I can I can I can see what's going on inside, outside on my phone, on my computer, like total OCD, right? But I will turn on the alarm, run to the front of the shop, pull the doors to make sure they're locked after I've already done it once and locked it. Then I'll walk out the back, turn off the light, I'll shut the back door and tug on that thing a few times throw my backpack in my truck and then go tell her on it again. So it's still a part of my life. Like it, it's still there with, with certain things. I mean, I'll lock my truck when I get to target and I make sure I hear a beep and I'll walk maybe 25 feet and make sure yeah. I hear it again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so it's still, it's still there. It's more annoying than anything, but it's not like, I have to touch a doorknob 57 times or, you know what I mean? Or turn the light switch and even a number. So I'll turn it off, you know, up, down, up, down, up, down, total of 20. You know, I've seen that. Uh, so I don't know what, what your thoughts are on that. I just feel like it's, it's just annoying and it's just something I've always kind of just dealt with. Right. And I, I think, you know, some, because I feel like I have, I very much so relate to what you're saying. Like I have mm-hmm. my alarm to my house on my phone, and I check it five times before I shut my eyes and go to sleep. Even yeah. though I know I've checked it just a second before, and I know that it's on. Mm-hmm. And I think the the big difference between you know when I was suffering from OCD without medication, and now is if I'm not able to do those things, I don't freak out nearly as much. You know, it's kind of just a weird tick that I have that I do, but I don't feel like, you know, someone is like, I'm going to get hurt or someone is going to get injured if I don't do it. Like it's, it's not as anxiety provoking if I'm not able to do it, even though I still do it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's more like a more, it's more like a feeling of, of guilt if that makes sense like okay. uh you want to make sure that, like i can lock my front door from my phone i can i can close my garage door from my phone i can turn my alarm sensor system off on my phone i can uh, control the temperature in my house with my phone i can do i make sure i endorse anything that you possibly can to do from your phone uh <laughs> for oc people so you can just give it a quick look uh, I can turn on cameras on my phone and see and make sure that my garage door closed. Because oh shit, did I close it? Yes, you closed it. Well, let's check. It's closed. So I mean, yeah, it's very much a part of my life, but it's just it's just annoying, I mean, you know, in my opinion, basically. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> what about you, Jerry? You got any OCD stuff? Uh, no. But one thing I did want to get into, and I don't know, <clears throat> you know, how much. Uh, you might be able to comment or talk about this. Um, and, and that's a f- the the effect of stress and mental abuse as a child and how it affects children. 
Um, I can attest to that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of us can relate to that. And, you know, I've shared my story, you know, a, a handful of times on the podcast. And, you know, I, I kind of grew up in a really weird vibe house where you know there was a lot of, of physical abuse but it was never directed toward me because all of my friends are always 10 or 15 years older and you know my father would have been caught you know but he wore me out mentally emotionally and i'm 41 years old and i still live with that every day you know and i don't think people really fully comprehend and understand the damage that's caused by you know verbal abuse stress and things like that you know, when you're a child because it, it stays with you forever. Yeah, yeah. And um, I know I had the disclaimer at the beginning of this. I, I don't know very much about child psychiatry, um, but child adverse events, which is, you know, the, the buzzword in psychiatry, is very much so a real thing. You know, even if it's abuse um, for yourself, like emotional or physical, but even if you witness abuse, if you're around like a very unstable household that has pretty lasting, you know, impact even into teenage years, young adult years and beyond like middle age years. Yeah. I can totally agree. Um, uh, you know, that our, our, for me in particular growing up, I, you know, I, I didn't know it then, but I know it now. You know, it's it's uh, it's crazy when you get older and smarter and a little bit more wise when you start things that kind of messed you up as a kid. And maybe not messed you up as a kid is, is maybe the wrong thing to say, but the traumatic things that you went through as a kid. I mean, talking. I'm talking about traumatic when you're seven and you you were told you got you got in trouble at school and you were told that you were going to go you were supposed to go to Chuck E. Cheese that day. I'm talking that traumatic as a seven year old, but then you didn't understand it. Now you understand what they were doing. It was a little bit of manipulation, and um, you know it's mental. That's mental abuse in my opinion and stuff like that. But when you start to realize what those were as you get older, it kind of weighs on you, and it never, like Jerry said, it never goes away. And, um, in fact, like you constantly kind of put those situations in everyday life. Um, and you know, I tried <laughs> how I grew up, I, I make sure that I, you know, it made me know what to do and what not to do with my, with my little girl. And, you know, that's, that's always going to be my number one and, and not doing certain things because once I started to understand what I went through and what it meant and what it did to me. Like it's, that's, it's, it's, it's messed up. It's scary. And I see how that could lead to, um, to some of these things like the OCD and the, uh, you know, the, the anxiety of it all and, and all that kind of stuff. Like as a child, I feel like you're so, you're so impressionable and you believe everything, uh, especially if it's coming from your parent. And if you're, if you're, being mentally abused and you're growing up in a household where your parents consistently fight all the time and you don't understand why, but then you start putting stuff together. Um, and then you realize what it really is when you get older. Um, you know, I just, it's so, it's so impactful, which is why I try to, you know, I try my damnedest not to do things, uh, that could be a lasting memory. Like my daughter will for it forever. Um, remember our, uh, our car accident. We got into 
we got into a really bad car accident in 2018. Um, and it ended up putting me in the hospital um, after the fact, but I won't go there. But basically, I was taking her like to dance in my truck. And thank God, my truck had a lift on it and big ass tires because a uh, Mercedes coupe, it was not taken care of. I went to go turn left. Um, you know, uh, I had a green light and I was turning left. And this guy blew through the intersection going, I don't even know how fast. I didn't even see the damn car. And T-boned us so hard that it lifted my truck in the air and spun it around. Mm. Um, and you're talking <laughs> a heavy-ass, you know, Ford F-150, right? With a coupe, a two-door coupe. So, and, and, and I turned around and looked at her. And she had no idea what happened. I didn't know what happened. And then she just starts crying. And then I go grab her. But my point is, she refers to it all the time. She <laughs> never forget that. And she calls it a crash bump. And this guy, and I was so worried about him too. Because at that point, I didn't know whose fault it was. I was so confused. Um, but he ran the red light. He boned us. Um, I rode in the ambulance to the hospital with my daughter. And uh, he had no insurance, and, and um, he went to the hospital too. I, I kept asking the police officer, I'm "Like, is he okay?" And they were there. He said his hands hurt. And I'm like, "Okay, whatever." But no insurance. I hired, you know, a private investigator to to go find out to see if he had funds to take care of, like you know, the things I had to pay for and whatnot. Whole trickle down effect. I, by the way. Uh, that guy sucks. I hate you if you know who I am. Um, uh, because I know who you are. Anyway, but um, <laughs> my daughter will never forget that. She talks about crash bumps all the time. All the time. And then she didn't want to get my truck when it was repaired. So I had to get a new truck. I, I like my new truck a whole lot more. But uh, she still <laughs> she still uh, wouldn't get in there. She was scared of it. Right. So I know that's going to weigh on her. What it's going to develop into, I have no idea. Oh, she's not scared to drive when she gets older. You know what I mean? So it's just things like that that scare me. Right. And I I think that's a good point of just how really any kind of trauma, um, you know, can kind of shape how you interact with the world and how you perceive it. And for some people that is lasting and some people are also able to just um, you know, almost grow out of it with time. It really just kind of depends. Um, this is actually something super like psychological and nerdy, but um, you know, there's the concept of like um, Erickson's stages of psychosocial development. Like when you're at a young age, you're trying to figure out in the world, is this, do I trust or do I not trust? And if you have, uh, you know, some sort of, situation that happens, you know, maybe there is some abuse that's happening in the house or there's some sort of car crash at a young age. How does that affect if I perceive the world as being something that's trustworthy and trustful or am I now not so sure and now I mistrust what's going on in the world? Like those little events can definitely shape how young people really just perceive the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I had stomach problems when I was younger, and I still kind of have 
some going on like nowadays. But I remember just one time, I just, my my stomach was just hurting like hell. At night. It was every single night, and my mom didn't, just didn't believe me. And we went to doctors and we went to the emergency room, and I was I was in some serious pain. But I was a kid, and I couldn't explain why. And they, and, and, you know, it's not it wasn't my opinion. And they ended up like giving me roll aids or some shit when I left the hospital, or they told us to go buy those and saying it was like you know gas or some shit like that. And this happened like three, four nights in a row where I was just in the fetal position. I couldn't move. And at the end of the day, because we had gone to the doctor, had to pay for that, gone to the emergency room, had to pay for that. You know, again, my mother was like, and just to think I was going to take you to the carnival or some shit. I'm like, really? You know, like losing my mind. And, and so she thought I was lying to her and my dad uh, just making up. She's like, why would I make up stuff like that? You're wondering as a kid, it's just so hard to comprehend. But again, another situation I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. It, was tra- it was traumatic for me. And you top it off with, uh, you know, your parents not believing you, calling you a liar, and then threatening you with a good time and taking it away. Like, come on, that's shitty. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so there's all kinds of different things that have led to uh, how screwed up I am. Um, and like I said, every time we have a, a different style guest on it, I'm, I, I think of all these different things that I've gone through and why I'm bland and and why we're here and all that kind of stuff. Trying to trying to not, not educate, but just like start the conversation, man. Because somebody else, somebody else didn't get to go to Chuck E. Cheese, and, 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 and if they're listening, man, I feel your damn pain because I, I I wanted to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Right. <laughs> Want to play rolled the whatever that ball machine is? It's still my favorite to this day. Where you roll it and try to get it. Yeah, yeah. Price pizza. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) See, see. I I mean, I've even (laughs) tried to get away with taking my daughter there and drinking beer and hanging out, but it's they kind of monitor that a little bit. Funny. (laughs) Well, I know. You know the the reason the reason I brought it up was you know when I was I guess. This would have been the fall of 90, so I would have been like 11 or 12. Um, yeah, I was typical, you know, 11 or 12-year-old boy, you know, playing baseball, doing the school thing, that kind of stuff. And, you know, in the middle of a, of a Little League game, I, I passed out on, you know, on, in the middle of the field. And they literally thought I was having a heart attack. And, and luckily, one of the guys on the other team, his dad was a paramedic, so... You know, he was right on top of it. I ended up in the hospital, and they couldn't figure out what was going on with me. And, you know, after a couple of days, they literally ruled it and diagnosed it stress. That's all they ever said. Oh, it's stress. <laughs> and sent me home. And I'm looking back, I'm like, well, okay, shouldn't that have been a red flag for something? Uh, call me crazy. And then, I don't know, about a week later, I was a block away from, from my house growing up. And I passed out in the middle of the street again. And I ended up in the hospital. And I remember this because I was a little kid and you remember stupid shit like this. But I was in the hospital from from basically Thanksgiving to Christmas. And they ran every test they knew how to run. And they diagnosed it again as stress. And it's like, you know, people don't, don't think about the fact that children deal with stress too. Yes, definitely. You know, it's so easy to overlook that and and get caught up in in your busy adult lives of work and paying bills and relationships and marriages. You know, things things affect kids differently. 
children's brains are, you know, like I said, they're not just impressionable, but the, the brain is growing along with them. You right. know? And they, they're, they're being educated by their surroundings, what people are telling them. And when you're that young, I feel like anything your parents say, you believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like right out of the gate, you have to, and then you see like sitcoms and stuff like that. There's a there's a show on CBS or something like that, uh, uh, the, the Unicorn, and I laugh my ass off every single time I see. I saw the preview. I, I haven't seen it in a long time, but um, the, the, it's a single guy, and and he he doesn't know how to explain to his kids that he's like on a dating app and he wants to go to date women and stuff like that. Cause he's like. He's just, I don't know. Anyway, but all of his friends are at a picnic table with him and they're like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, I can't lie to my kids, guys. And then both sets of parents were like, I lie to my kids all day, every day. That's all I do is lie, 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 lie. And that's it. And I just, I was laughing because it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, but I think it's somewhat true because, you know, when they're, when they're really tiny, you gotta, you know, like, you know someone's gonna fall apart if if they can't go to like, like right now my daughter wanted chicken wings the other day for Publix I blew by Publix and just forgot to go in and check and I had to tell her that you know they were out or it was closed or something I forgot what I told her but it was just to avoid the meltdown and disappointment you know what I mean it was easier to say something like that but for, for me that's a little different than you know <laughs> locking your kid up in the room and saying, you know, taking, taking the fun away from them just to make them feel like shit. And that, that's what fucked me up as a kid. So yeah. let's talk about anxiety for a second. Um, so for something I, I didn't really um, mention, but triggers, um, triggers are a big thing uh, for my panic attacks. Um, things that stress me out and whatnot. And, uh, I used to tour manage bands and uh, I say it all the time, but when tour dates would go up and we'd be going to Europe or doing a U.S. tour and I knew I was going to be gone eight, eight weeks from home, um, I would lock up and sort of ha- I would have like a, I just lock up, couldn't move, twilight zone, out of body experience, you know? Um, so <laughs> I find that not just things like that, but even even like the social anxiety and stuff like that, where you like, there have been times where I've like literally stepped into a room for a Christmas party or a gathering of friends or something like that. And something will get to me and I got to get the hell out of there. It doesn't happen anymore. Um, or things, things that used to irritate me, like going to dinner sometimes and it was taking too long and people were just like, like, I, I just wanted to be home so bad to my comfort place. And if I wasn't able to enter the dialogue as much as possible. And I think that happened a little bit early on when I was dating um, my current wife before we got married. You know, uh, it was hard to interject. And I think that kind of triggered something in me where I would start to get really anxious and just like want to get home and stuff like that sometimes. Um, but like, what, did you... Did anything really like uh, trigger the things that you that that got you where you are, like on a personal level or anything like that? Yeah. Um. So I back in high school, 
Uh, I grew up in a really small town in Iowa. Like, I graduated with a class of, like, 98. Um, and we, my senior year of the spring semester, there were three students in my high school who all committed suicide, like, within two months of each other. Wow. And that was a very difficult thing to walk through with classmates. And um, just because it's such a tight-knit community, I mean, we all knew these students. Um, and so that was definitely something that I I feel like, looking back on, um, really triggered a lot of just general anxiety for me as I went to college. Um, and so there's that and kind of how that led into my anxiety. But then even with my OCD, it really came up after my grandfather passed away um, during medical school. And for whatever reason, that was just something that made it that I started just having these recurring thoughts and showing symptoms of OCD. Um, and it wasn't even necessarily that I was thinking about my grandfather passing away the entire time, but that was definitely the point where everything started going downhill for me. And yeah. I, I think it's interesting, like, you know, what you were talking about with your triggers of just being, going out to dinner and being with a large group of people or just, you know, different social situations that make you nervous, triggers can really be anything. Like, they can be, quote-unquote, big things like losing a family member or losing your job. But they can also just be, you know, I have a big test coming up. I have to give a speech. Um, I'm being bullied at school. Like, all those things can really trigger anxiety. It doesn't have to be a big thing. You know, yeah, my, my, my wife and I, one of our guilty pleasures is, have you guys ever seen the show on Fox called 911? No. Okay. Uh, basically, it's, it's based in L.A., and they follow, you know, the story revolves around a firehouse and, and that kind of stuff. Anybody that's seen it, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's fiction. It, it's by the guys that uh, do American Horror Story, but it's just, it's a great show. That's one of our, our guilty pleasures every Monday night. But, um we're sitting there on the on the sofa watching Monday night and out of nowhere they have to perform something called a thoracotomy that's exactly what i went through in 2007 when i had the MRSA scare that almost killed me and they're sitting there on tv right in the middle of this show cracking this dude's chest open and my wife just looks at me and went oh you're not okay are you and i'm like nope not okay <laughs> And it's like, yeah, and it, anytime I, I things like that, and it's it's random, you know, you never think about it, but you're just sitting there watching TV, and it just pops up out of nowhere, and it's like, oh shit! And instantly, 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 my head goes right back to everything I went through. So when you say triggers can be anything, they can literally be anything, right? Yeah, dude, uh, I go back to the mirrors, man. If I ever got enough confidence, which was rare, uh, or I, I happened to, uh, to glance at a mirror uh, for a little longer than I should have, and I locked, like, with my face and stuff like that, my whole day was ruined, you know, because all the insecurities flare up, all kinds of stuff, and then, you, and then and then your mind is just going and going, and you're beating yourself up, you're not saying nice things yourself, and it's just, it's terrible, it's awful. Um, and, but yeah, anything can be a trigger. Um, you know, and, and, and you mentioned, uh, um, the suicides back when you were in high school. 
and stuff I can't like even, that. I can't even imagine going through something like that at that age. Mm-hmm. I, it, it was definitely that, a very difficult thing. Yeah, it, 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 uh, it, it, it's, it's always difficult. And, you know, I try to bring up that subject any time I can because it's one that's very difficult to talk about. But, you know, um, ideate, suicidal ideation as a textbook, if you will. So um, I'm not asking for your opinion or anything like that, but uh, with someone that deals with suicidal ideations constantly, um, uh, like Jerry sent me this video on Twitter with this guy, I guess he, he's been fighting for eight years, uh, wanting to kill himself and he's successfully mm-hmm. not done it through different methods and ways. Um, but he constantly wants to do it. So people have suicidal ideations. I think it's very different than someone thinking about suicide, but the actual ideation of how am I going to do it to myself and when and all that kind of stuff. Like, what's and, the approach on that? And, and truthfully, I think it's more common than people want to uh, want to let on. Oh, exactly. I agree with that. Yeah, I think it's way more common than, you know, we even really know about. Um, but yeah, no, what you're talking about between just thinking about it and planning it, um, that's one of the things that, uh, that we kind of learn about in psychiatry of, you know, we ask questions of, do you have any plans on hurting yourself or ending your life? Um, and more, more often than probably we're used to, people will say, yeah, yeah, I have thoughts of hurting myself or I have thoughts of ending my life. Um, and the big next step is, you know, have you thought about how you would do it? Have you thought about the means of how you would do it? Um, and if that's the case, that just means that there's been that extra step in planning. Um, which probably causes a little more, um, just, I guess it just makes it a much more serious situation because they're farther along and like the suicide, um, progression. Um, in which case, so that's, that's something where, you know, may have to be admitted to the hospital, taken to the ER if they're actively like thinking about suicide and how they're going to do it. Right. Like almost like, uh, uh, like a Baker Act kind of situation. Like you, you kind of you, know, you see the telltale signs and they're there and it's real. It's like okay, we need to get this person help, yes. kind of thing, and, and get them locked up to 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 <laughs> self for self care so they don't harm themselves. Right? It's right. Like 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 the people that go to jail that are on suicide watch, but somehow end up making it happen. I, how that happens, I have no idea. But I get, I guess I get it. It's just. You know, uh, it, it bugs me. I, I refer to Chester Bennington all the time. And, you know, he, he was so open and honest about all of his mental struggles. And he wore it on the outside. And as much as he wore it on the outside and told everybody about it all the time and mentioned what his depression was like and said he didn't want to feel, he didn't want to feel anything. And, you know, like he was jealous of the... Uh, forget what the term was uh some it, it's uh i don't know it's a term of a, like a psychopath or something someone that doesn't feel in in the a person sociopath? and said sociopath that's it he, he said he i envy sociopaths because they don't feel anything and the person was like you don't want to be human and he goes nope and it's like those signs and then you know it came out after his uh after his death that you know, that wasn't the, the he, he eventually did die by suicide, but that wasn't his first intent. Those ideations, and I think that was on his death, death certificate as well, 
But the suicidal ideations were a huge part of his life and thought process. I mean, he, he hogtied himself and threw himself in the pool when he was like hammered. And it's tragic, but somehow, you know, he finagled himself to get out of it. And that wasn't the time that happened. But, and I, we hear, I watch documentaries and I hear people say it all the time that anybody that's tried it and survived it, once they start it, they immediately regret it. And it's like, how do we get that, that emotion out to the people that those, the ones that do immediately regret it, the ones that survive? They, they, they share the same story. Like once I like, once I jumped, once I did this, once I did that, I, I, I was like, Oh shit, I made the wrong decision, you know? So I don't know. I just, I wish we could educate people more on this kind of stuff. Right. And I think having candid conversations, like even people who have survived suicide attempts, I think just having Open, open, non-judgmental conversations about it. I think that really produces a lot of healing and identification for those who are going through similar things. Like, it's, I think. It's, oh, sorry. I think it's, it's so impactful to know of someone who has gone through something that you've gone before and is able to put it into words, and you can identify with that. And that's 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 why we're here, right, Jerry? Yep. I mean, Absolutely. this is this is the con- this is the conversation. We, we all, like this, this, this show in particular, I feel has been a pretty deep one, um, a very serious one. You know, we, we, we get, you know, we crack jokes and a lot of them, stuff like that. But this is, this was good to hear, um, this kind of information and textbook explanations and stuff like that. But, you know, again, that's, that's, that's what we're here for. Anytime we can, we can create that dialogue and have no judgment and have no reserves and be transparent and throw ourselves out there. That's, that's, that's the point. And if it's one person that we help and we walked away tomorrow and not, and not, we didn't do another show, I would be happy. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. And you know, like, like we said earlier and we, we say it every show, you know, we are far from being experts, you know, we're just a couple of guys that care and we want to make a difference. And like you said, if that's helping just one person, so be it. Then this whole project was worth it. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, again, it, it's like, like she said, it's conversations like this. It's being open about it. It's being candid about it. You know, it, it, so many times people, people are afraid to, to go there because of what they think other people might think. You know, oh, my God, they're going to think I'm crazy. Oh, my God, they're going to think I'm nuts. They're going to think I'm this. They're going to think I'm that. And, you know, you know, look at me differently now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if I let somebody know that I've been thinking about this, they're going to think I'm actually going to do it. Or, right. you know, they're going to look at me differently and they're going to start telling people or, you know, it, it, the whole, it's it's the whole stigma. You, you know, and, and again, like you said, Brandon, that that's why we're doing this podcast is to break that stigma. Yep. Yep. And, you know, Do whatever so we can, every, every little bit helps. And, and Rebecca, I know, uh, you know, before we started, you know, you had shot us an email and was, you know, kind of talking about what you've been up to and why you got into it. And, and one of the things you said is that you started your Instagram to end the mental health stigma. And, you know, God, it's so important. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brandon and I talked about this um, the other day, too. But just even having different avenues of being able to 
you know, decrease the stigma, really just talk about mental health in public spaces like Instagram has been for me, I think has been really beneficial. And I've been very humbled by the fact that people have sent me messages of, um, you know, I am dealing with anxiety. I've been dealing with depression for years. I just want to thank you for what you're doing. And you're, you know, like little things like I identify with your posts or your posts cheer me up or your posts empower me. Even those little simple things, like it's not necessarily um, for the glory of being on Instagram, but right. able to impact people where they're at and send a positive message about mental health. For me, that just makes this whole thing worth it. Yeah, no doubt. And I've said it before because I've had people go, well, you know, you're just putting this out for attention. It's like, no, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> no. You, no, you, and don't, I, you I, don't get it. I could do a uh, lot for attention. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. There's many other things. And I have to, I have to thank you, Rebecca, honestly, because sending DMs to random people while fishing hashtags is a very difficult thing to do because <laughs> it feels creepy <laughs> when doing so. Because I feel like they're going to see this DM pop up and they're going to be like, oh God, like, I mean, who, who really DMs that much or something? But it's like, it's the only way to get the cucks. And so the people that respond, I'm so thankful for because it means you didn't think I was a creep. So, whew. Well, yes, you're welcome. You're not- <laughs> well, she, I, I was going to say, she obviously doesn't know you. God, why am uh, I doing that to you today? That's like the uh, third time I've got... God, I'm... That was different. You called me an asshole before, and now I'm a creep. I can't be both. We're going to get off this call, and she's going to think to herself, what in the hell did I just do? Did I get myself into? <laughs> I well, look, never answered his DM. <laughs> that's the last time I answer a creepy guy's DM. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, Rebecca, we appreciate the time. Uh, where can everybody find you on social media? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram. My handle is Bogan Young. It's B-O-G-U-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-G. Um, and I just wanted to do a little PSA for everyone out there. I know think times are tough right now. And even if, you know, all the stuff wasn't going on in the world, times would still be tough. Um, so I just want to put in a plug for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Their phone number is 1-800-273-8255. Um, feel free to give them a call. It's confidential. There's someone there 24-7 to talk to you if you feel like you're in a crisis and are needing help. Yeah, no doubt. And we also have that in our show notes and, and we talk about it every week on the show. So, uh, yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Thank you for getting that out there. And uh, Rebecca, again, thank you so much for the time. Uh, you know, we really appreciate it. We'll follow up with, on, uh, with you and, and we'll certainly keep up with uh, your progress on everything. And, uh, you know, anything we can do to help you out, uh, you know, we're, we're always here for you. Yeah, thank you all so much for asking me on the show. This has been fantastic, and I I love y'all's podcast. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. That means more than you know. So yes, uh, yes, it does. So yeah, as 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 I mentioned, uh, we're going to get to the interview now with Brandon on the Mike O Show. Just a quick programming note: uh, show's going to start coming out on Tuesdays now. So uh, just scheduling wise, there were a lot of things that went into that decision. So. Don't trip out when you don't see it on Monday mornings. We're moving to Tuesdays. It's not that big of a deal, but uh, we're still going to be here for you. And uh, just wanted to give you guys that heads up. So uh, until next week, uh, he's Brandon Thompson. My name is Jerry P. Tuck. Don't forget to hashtag get it out. I just want the oh. It's time for the Mike oh. Radio Show on 102.5 The Bone. Speaking of someone who's money, Brandon Thompson. 
Brandon. I don't know about money. <laughs> totally money. Now, full disclosure, I used to work with Brandon back at the other place. He was uh, my assistant promotion director. And from there, he just catapulted up into so many other bigger and better things and uh, doing a lot of great stuff. And the thing I'm most proud of him, uh, beyond having such an awesome wife, full disclosure, she works here. <laughs> uh, she also interned for me back in the day. Look I don't know that. if that happened, if they met during that or not. But, um, nope, 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 nope. nope. But uh, Courtney's he awesome. The, she's the best. Yep, she's awesome. And they have a beautiful daughter. And uh, what I'm most proud of Brandon uh, is is that what he's done with this podcast, A Place for My Head, and just how how many, how many podcasts deep are you into that right now? Oh, man, that's a good question. I, I want to say at least, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's probably in the 20s by now. Really? Not, not, I mean, it's not, 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 not too crazy, too many, but, you know, because it was just, you know, me and Jerry P. took in the beginning, and then we started getting some really, really, really good interviews with some really, really good context and uh, some amazing stories that aren't that didn't end in, in tragedy. They they ended up in such positivity, and to hear um, what these people went through and uh, how they're doing now, how they're coping with things, and 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 dealing with struggles of you know PTSD, like you're saying, you know, and still having that. You know, you never forget some of the stuff that that, that creates these uh, these things in our lives that makes it so difficult. And to hear, um, you know, like we had a professional beach volleyball player on uh, the other day, and she's so bubbly and happy and cute, and you would never think in a million years that anything would would ever be wrong with her because uh, she's so like in tune with her thoughts and body and mind and all that kind of stuff. But she's got a terrible story. Yeah. And it's just super unfortunate, you know, that, that to all the people that we talk to and all the people that uh, we, we make friends with and, and all that kind of stuff, we've all gone through something in our lives that has got us to this place. But that's what makes the show so authentic and genuine because we get it because we've been there ourselves. What and was, unfortunately, we have to go ahead. No, What was your impetus for starting all this? I mean, where was the starting point ground zero for you so where... You know, I got to get this out, and I wa- and I want to do this, and it, it's not only a passion for you, but something that you do very well. Uh, well, thank you. I, you know, I dealt with my own struggles with uh, uh, mental illness. You know, I had I had anxiety and panic attacks that, um, you know, really were sometimes uncontrollable and, and quite scary. And uh, Jerry and I always talk about our aha moments and stuff. Right. And one of my, my aha moment was, you know, I think I forgot to take my medicine or something like that. Then my heart started to like beat faster. Then I thought I was having a heart attack. Then I thought I was going to die. I just left work, dropped whatever I was doing and, and, you know, went to my primary care and asked the doctor to tell me I was okay. I'm like, am I okay? And he said I was okay. And then I was fine after that. I'm like, you know what? I can't live my life like this anymore, so I'm not going to do it. But that was that was my struggle, which led to uh, I was listening to before you guys before the break, and someone mentioned getting things out of your head, getting things out of your head, and that's where a place in my head, a place in my head came about because all of this stuff is tracked. So I I just I just decided to write, and when I decided to write, that's when I started to connect with people. I did the website, and then we started the podcast, and then it all just just blew up, and and, and it's so. There's nothing more rewarding than people hearing our story because we're transparent as right. we can be. We throw our stuff out there so that people can relate and um, people don't 
know, you live alone. But that's really what, you know, uh, really triggered me to do it is when I realized that people out there could use someone to talk to and it was genuinely helping them, not on a professional level, but hey, let's just have a conversation. How many times do you walk down the hallway and say, hey, uh, how's your day? How are you doing? What, how are you? And everybody's like, I'm fine. Are you right. really fine? Exactly. Do you sit down and talk about how I really feel? You know what I mean? So um, that's really it, man. And, and what drives us is, is the reaction that we get from people and people drop us lines or I see somebody out, you know, in the community and stuff like that. And, and they're like, what you guys are doing is, is phenomenal because it's, it's so relatable and it's helping people. And it's, it's the, it's the ultimate reward. I'm so, I'm, I'm beyond grateful. Yeah. Beyond grateful. So there's, there's two terms of fine in my vocabulary. One fine. Yeah, I'm doing okay. And then there's an acronym for fine, which stands for effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, right. which a lot of people, you know, deal with those things and they could say they're fine, but that could be their way of that. That's the ver- correct answer they're supposed to give because nobody wants to tell you about their problems because especially if you're a guy, you're supposed to be this bravado mm-hmm. machismo guy mm-hmm. that, you know, you're, you're weak if you let your feelings out or if you were to let your inner, you know, thoughts out. And it's, it's a tough thing that we're dealt with at times. And sometimes you just don't know where to turn. I mean, do you really want to talk to yeah. about your best buddy if you're having problems? Mm. You know, and it's just, it's the hard yeah. thing. And that creates so much stress and anxiety for us. Yeah, it's not, it's not macho, right? It's not it's allegedly, not the manly it's not. thing to do. It, allegedly, right? Yeah. But, you know, whatever. It's done nothing but help me uh, to be open and honest about my struggles. And, you know, I, it's, not, it's not like I'm anxiety free. I no. mean, we're all trapped in our house right now. And, you know, people that are on medication and stuff like that, they're having to have doctor appointments over the phone instead of in person. And, you know, they're worried about going, you know, elderly people or whomever, any person can be affected by this. It's all walks of life that have a brain. So they're worried about going to CVS to pick up their, their, their medication that they need to quite frankly survive. And, uh, you know, that's a terrible, that's a terrible thought to think about that someone's cooped up in their house wondering if they're going to make it. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's tough. And men and men, especially we, you know, we talk about that a lot. We did a whole podcast on the whole subject was on fine. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, you know, in the process, I lost my, my grandfather, um, and I deal with a lot of family issues and I came in the studio to record one day and I, I believe we were just going to do a bit session. Honestly, I, I barely remember it, but I was in one of those moments where I was just a, an emotional wreck. And we just did a show on me being an emotional wreck. I couldn't control it. So, I mean, I try to be genuine. And if I, if I tried to take that or put on like, you know, you know, uh, just, just try to be someone else, I, I, it wouldn't have been authentic. Yeah, and going off the whole being being macho, um, your website, a place for my head dot com. The very first quote: "I don't let people in often, but if my words can help just one person or many, I'm an open book." And to be honest, like I, I don't think I've ever related to a to a quote more in yeah. my entire life. Like that, that is perfectly that that perfectly sums up everything. So being able and lucky enough to have worked with Brandon over the years, he's fully transparent, right? And I remember when I met him, he was this very young young man, and just, you know, always full of just like fun and had a, you know, that smile on his face. But then as you grow, grow older, things start happening in your life, right. pressures, marriage, family, responsibilities. And, it, and I mean, you were on the road for a while too with what, POD, was it? No, it was uh, El Nino. El Nino, I'm sorry. Yeah. 
and I, others. Yeah, and yeah, that was, had some issues there. Really, yeah, that's what really, really, um, that's where my anxiety started to develop. I, I, I don't want to say I didn't have it before then. I'm, I'm sure I did, and I, I was probably confused about it. But yeah, that's when I would get locked, locked up. Like when I would see tour dates go up and stuff like that, and we'd be headed to Europe or whatever. I would literally uh, back in the MySpace days when they would go yeah. up on MySpace. I, I would literally lock up in a, in a sweat, and I just couldn't move. It's like an out of body experience, almost like Twilight Zone, where you're watching doctors pronounce you dead, but you're trying to scream that you're not. That's wow. how bad it was. It's just it's crazy. Yeah. It's uh, just and watching your story over the years and how it's evolved into what it's come to now. It's just it's it's so remarkable, and I mean, I just love what you're doing. And I wish you could be here in studio. I promise you, as soon as we're allowed to get guests back in, we're going to have you back again because I, I think your message is so important. Like I was saying earlier before you came on, that yesterday kicked off Mental Health Awareness Month, and this is the time that just you know you got to take a little bit of a look inward and just try to make yourself better. It's a tough time that a lot of people are going through right now and dealing with so many different struggles in so many different areas. It's just cobwebbed out. But I mean, this is a time where you really just need to take care of yourself. You really do. Everybody. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And especially men, I do want to stress that and and not, not to neglect um, women out there at all. You know, we had plenty of women guests and whatnot, but men, the, 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 the suicide rate for men is tremendously higher. Um, for, for, for many, for many, many reasons, you know, and, uh, I, 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 I try to bring up suicide as much as I can on the show. Yeah. Um, only because it's the, it's the number one subject in mental health that nobody likes to talk about. It's, that it's is a scary subject out there. Is that, it's that scary thing that you think is only in the closet, but I mean, it's there and it's real and it's, yeah, it's, it's, there. it's not, it's, it's not something real. that's going away, unfortunately. But if we could, like you said, if you can impact one life or we can make a difference one time to yep. one person, it's, it's worth it all. Yep. It really is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Brandon, yeah. where do we find yeah, you? I think it, where do we find you on Insta, oh. Twitter? Give the whole rundown. Uh, uh, Instagram, Twitter is both. Uh, I'm Brandon promo, just my first name and promo. And that's, that's Facebook as well, but it's not really get on Facebook too much. So and uh, how and often do the podcasts come out? <laughs> Every every Monday or Tuesday, we you know with with everything that's going on, it's kind of it's been hard to because we're doing things via Skype and FaceTime audio and from my house and Jerry Pizza's house and you know all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you can find all the podcasts on uh, RadioInfluence.com uh, and you know any anywhere where uh, podcasts exist, like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, I love Jerry P. Tuck. He's one of the good guys in this industry. He's just one of those guys who knows yes, his stuff, he is. and he's just awesome. I give him my best. And I, I owe it all to him because he he came to me with this idea yeah. after he saw the website. So, so yeah, I owe a lot to him. Yeah, no, he, he's amazing. As are you, uh, Brandon. Open invitation anytime you want to come on. Whatever you don't have to wait for me to reach out to you. But again, once we're okay. about to all get together again in one big happy uh, circle. We're going to have you in and uh, talk a little bit more about it. Awesome. All right. Thank you guys so much for having me on. And as always, you know, I love you. I uh, love so, you too, man. Stay safe and well, uh, give my best to the family. All right. See ya. This is a sitting ringside with David Penzer Quick Fix on Radio Influence. So without further ado, uh, let me bring on my guest this week, 
through the battle of his life and is still here to talk about it and his career. I'm honored to have Tracy Smothers this week on Sitting Ringside. End of August, I started getting real bad pains, and I think I've been bad for a while. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I thought I was just getting old. Got checked out about mid-October, got diagnosed as non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. I didn't even know it. And they so sent me to a specialist, and uh, you know, because I, I first the emergency doctor and at the one first hospital, he said that he thought I had a, a bleeding ulcer. But then he said he found a big tumor. It's rapidly growing. You need to go to a specialist. So I went to Evansville to the Deaconess Cancer Center and did the biopsy and it come it's lymphoma cancer and it said it's treatable with uh, uh, chemo and the hardest thing about any kind of cancer is dealing with chemo chemo kills the cancer but it kills everything else right and I was hospitalized 11 times between the middle of October till recently and about five times days each time and because it said with my heart uh, I'd had a blockage in some arteries and I'd had a heart attack somewhere near and didn't even know it. So I had to do the chemo 24-7, five days a week, five to six days a week, every three weeks. And I'd have to take all the medicine you know, between that. And it just, you know, it was rough uh, with, you know, 24, I had to do it slow and I had to monitor my heart. And uh, boy, it just took a lot out of me. And the side effects off of the chemo, four of the, about five times I had to go back in, uh, uh, other than the chemo, uh, b- between the chemo treatments, because of uh, the side effects off the chemo, I had a uh, cedis, almost died. Oh, uh, my kidneys were shutting down. I had a respiratory infection. Uh, I had uh, something called flesh or something, uh, and, uh, bacteria in my lungs and my heart. And uh, I thought I was out of the woods. And, and they had they drained 2.2 pounds of fluid off of my heart. And uh, so it just it just took a lot out of me. Sitting ringside with David Penzer can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.